It's great to have you joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you in May of 2023 from Atlanta in the Muscogee Creek Territory and former Red Wolf Territory in the Piedmont region that's the foothills of the Appalachia Mountain Range. Today we're going to be talking about coyotes living in metro Atlanta and the southeast region in terms of natural history and their role in ecosystems and the unfairness of Georgia's open season hunting policies for coyotes as well as sharing tips for coexisting with coyotes in our neighborhoods. Our guest is a biology professor at Berry College, Dr. Chris Mowry, co-founder of the Atlanta Coyote Project. Let me tell you a little bit about that project and him. The Atlanta Coyote Project consists of scientists devoted to learning more about coyotes and their role in urban ecosystems. Whether you're captivated, concerned, or just plain curious when it comes to coyotes, the Atlanta Coyote Project strives to be a relevant and credible source of information and research and to provide tangible strategies for avoiding human-coyote conflict. Their website is atlantacoyoteproject.org, and there's a button there where you can report a coyote sighting or share photos and videos of local coyote families. Our guest today is Dr. Chris Mowry, who co-founded the Atlanta Coyote Project with fellow biologist Dr. Larry Wilson in 2014. Dr. Mowry is a professor of biology at Barry College, who teaches undergraduate courses in zoology, behavioral ecology, and conservation biology. He earned his PhD in biology from Emory University and has been a resident of Metro Atlanta since the early 1980s. As an animal ecologist, he studies both African primates and coyotes. His coyote research spans over 20 years. Welcome, Dr. Mowry. Thank you for having me, Carrie. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you back. Now, I wanted to start with you telling us some natural history of the coyote and other wild canine species in North America prior to European colonization, particularly which canine species were in the southeast region of North America many centuries ago and how human activities have changed their populations and territories over time. Right. This is very important about this portion of the story of the coyote. So the coyote uh, is is endemic to North America. That means we find it only in North America. And it was an animal that historically was west of the Mississippi River uh, from, from at least over the last 10,000 years or so. So it was an animal that was found and really on the plains of, of North America. Um, here in the Southeast, we had red wolves. So cousins to coyote, same genus, Canis, but a different species. So the coyote is Canis latrans and the red wolf is Canis rufus. And then out west uh, was the gray wolf, uh, Canis lupus. And so the coyote and the gray wolf co-evolved together. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so and, and really all of these animals, the, the coyote, the red wolf, and then the domestic dog, which is Canis familiaris, mm -hmm. all of these animals came out of the gray wolf, Canis lupus. So that's the common ancestor that is shared by all of these animals. Okay. And then um, we didn't used, is it true that we didn't really used to have coyotes in this area, like where we live in, in um, Georgia, but we used to have red wolves, but then they're not here anymore and now coyotes are. That's right. So again, uh, coyotes were west of the Mississippi River. And so here we had red wolves, as you say, here in the southeast. And and unfortunately, the red wolf was extirpated is the word that we use as, as biologists. And that means it was 
essentially eliminated from its native habitat. And that elimination was due to human activity. So we trapped them, we poisoned them, we, we killed them and until essentially they were all gone. Um, there were just a few that remained. Those few remaining animals ended up in the Southern Louisiana, Southern Texas, and those animals were all captured. These are red wolves that I'm talking mm, about. Yeah. Uh, were captured in the late seventies, early eighties. And were eventually their progeny were were taken to coastal North Carolina. So they're the only place in the world where there are wild red wolves is coastal North Carolina, a place called Alligator River National Wildlife Refuge. And there are only about 30 to 35 animals, red wolves there. But anyway, that created a vacuum essentially in the Southeast that the coyote very easily filled. So the only thing that was keeping the coyote out of the Southeast was the red wolf. They were competitors and the red wolf kept them out. So the coyote didn't come in, but once there are no more red wolves, coyote easily filled that niche. Yeah. And how long have coyotes been in the Southeast region of the, of North America, would you say? Yeah. So it was a slow immigration over, over 50 years. So probably, so coyotes started to move in uh, probably, you know, during the last maybe 70 years, 70, mm-hmm. 60 years, they got to Georgia, as far as we can tell, probably in the 1970s, um, kind of slowly but surely made their way east. And so now the coyote is found in, in every state of the United States, They're uh, except for Hawaii. They, they yeah. don't, they're good swimmers, but they haven't <laughs> swum that good. in Hawaii yet. Uh, but they, they're found in every state. They're found throughout Central America. Uh, they're found up into Canada. They're knocking on the door of South America. So they'll, mm. they'll probably get into South America eventually. But uh, this is really a, a natural progression, again, right. as we have eliminated their competitors. And, and this happens a lot in the world. We, we eliminate yeah. com- competitors and, and species move around. Right. And in looking at the Georgia Department of Natural Resources hunting policies, I was upset to read that they label coyotes as a quote unquote invasive species and therefore declare open season on hunting coyotes year round with no limits to the number of individuals people can kill people who have a hunting or trapping license. Dr. Mary, what's your take on the rather hostile stance the Georgia Department of Natural Resources has taken on coyotes related to hunting and trapping in our state? Well, we we disagree with the characterization of the coyote as an invasive species. Um, invasive, as you say, suggests they're they're doing damage uh, that they don't belong here. Um, you know, and again, as I've explained, these animals are here really through our actions, um, the loss of their competitor, the red wolf, and and in fact, if you go back far enough, tens of thousands of years, we see fossilized remains of coyotes in in the east. Uh, so it suggests that coyotes were in the east at one point. Uh, I guess the, the main point, though, is that there has always been sort of a top canid predator uh, right. in the southeast throughout North America. You know, whether it was the gray wolf, the red wolf, the, the, the coyote is now somewhat filling that niche in the southeast. It's not the same. It's a smaller animal than a red wolf is. Um, it requires less territory. It eats smaller foods. It eats a wider variety of foods. So it's not necessarily comparing apples to apples, but um, it is a, a canid 
predator. It's a smaller animal, as I say, than the red wolf, but um, it's likely serving as the what we call the apex or the top predator. And predators are a part of any healthy ecosystem. They're an important part of any healthy ecosystem. And so to characterize the coyote as invasive, um, you know, again, really does it a disservice because it does serve a role in our southeastern ecosystems. It helps to keep other species in, in check, for example. And actually, I myself wrote to the Georgia DNR, uh, Department of Natural Resources, and asked them to take coyotes off the invasive species list so that it's that's a potential campaign. I was thinking that we could start as citizens so we could all start getting more involved in the hunting and trapping policies for wildlife in our area. Uh, just um, FYI, <clears throat> other species in the Georgia that the Georgia authorities say are okay for hunters to kill at nauseum are beavers, hogs, armadillos, groundhogs, starlings, pigeons, and English sparrows. So some of the those are some of the other individuals we Georgians might want to advocate for. But um Dr. Mowry, just because a species is not a longtime resident of a region and they've migrated here over the years doesn't necessarily mean their presence is damaging in terms of use of the word invasive. Um, I don't I really don't like <laughs> that that term. And so and as you were describing um, in this case, having a um, wild canine species in the ecosystem in this area has been uh, natural to the area. And and also, again, the term invasive implies they need that we need to remove them, perhaps, because it would be ecologically justified to remove them. But I know that you've done some research that's shown the role coyotes play in Georgia's ecosystem. And could you tell us about uh, whether it's more productive or more damaging in terms of um, the role coyotes play? Right. Uh, well, we did publish a paper a few years ago uh, looking at the role of, of coyotes uh, in the ecosystem. And so um, what we found is actually a high level of biodiversity in an area where we knew that there was a, an active coyote uh, family. Uh, they, there was reproduction, small litter sizes each year. And we saw high biodiversity, 12 different species of mammals, uh, high bird biodiversity, a number of species of, of reptiles. And so this really fits with what we know, this sort of classic ecological theory, uh, again, is that predators are an important component of ecosystems. Um, they Again, as I mentioned before, they help to control uh, species that are further down on the food chain. So in this case, uh, rodents, for example, small mammals that, uh, you know, coyotes eat. And so no one species becomes overabundant um, and, and outcompetes other species. And there are plenty of examples in nature that ecologists have, have studied that show the, the loss or the absence of a predator uh, means, again, that these species lower down on the food chain can proliferate unchecked um, and, and usually drive some of the other species to extinction through what we call competitive exclusion. So, mm -hmm. so again, the coyote is a, is a part of the ecosystem and it is performing this function. This, this beneficial function. Yeah, I'm glad you've been able, you and other um, scientists have been able to uh, figure that out and showcase that, uh, that the role they're playing is, is productive. 
And I, I know that you have a lot of video observations of coyotes in Georgia that either you've taken or people will send you uh, the, through the Atlanta coyoteproject.org website. What have some of your video observations revealed in terms of how coyotes live and what their family lives are like? Well, I often say that the coyote family groups are just very similar to human family groups, to some mm. human family groups. And so there's a, it's a small nuclear family group. And so it's it's what we call the alpha male and female. It's really the mom and dad and then their, their offspring, their pups. They're very seasonal breeders. They breed in the wintertime and so they give birth in the spring. And the litter size is can be anywhere from two to seven or eight or, or maybe wow. more. Um, but those pups will stay with their parents for a few months. And then usually by the end of the summer into the fall, they, they begin to disperse. And eventually all of them are, will typically leave the family group, the, the natal group, as we say. And the mom and dad will mate for life. They will stay together and they will maintain the territory that they have established and then they might have a new litter of pups the, the next year. Now, some of those pups from the previous year might stick around and help to raise their younger brothers and sisters. That's a very common thing that we see in lots of animal species. Bald eagles, for example, will, will do this. Um, and so, but it's a, it's a nuclear family. Uh, and I think that's, um, you know, not something that most people are aware of. We oftentimes use coyote pack or people will use that, that yeah. term, but it's really sort of a misnomer because uh, it's, again, it's a, it's a group of individuals who are all related, mom and dad, and then their kids and the kids leave and then, and then it might start over again. But, but I, I guess I'll just end by saying that the size of the litter, the size of the family is dependent on on several things. It's just the mom and dad who are breeding. They are suppressing breeding in their in their offspring. They've got to go off and find their own territory and mate, and unless something disrupts that stable family group. And then it's also dependent upon resources. What resources are available? And that's just a biological fact. The number, the amount of resources dictates how many of your offspring you can have and how many will survive. And so when we as humans provide more resources, that creates a situation where there can be more coyotes. And when you look at the um, the video footage of these families, kind of what do you see them doing? Are they ever playful like our dogs are playful or are they always kind of going about their business like, you know, trying to find water, trying to find food <laughs> Yeah, those are good questions. And, and I'll say, first of all, that the coyotes don't easily reveal themselves. Uh. And so uh, so they're not seen all that often. Oh. You know, people do see them occasionally. And it's usually uh, at first they're confused. They, it doesn't register. They think it's a dog. They think it's a German shepherd. Um, and then so we don't often see coyotes. We, we see them occasionally, but we don't often see them. Uh, but they are. They can be very playful. Um, they're very doting parents. That's one of the things is that mm -hmm. both the mom and the dad are involved in rearing the offspring. Um, so and and then, as I said, older brothers and sisters can also help to raise the offspring. They usually uh, keep out of sight, um, particularly here in the southeast. 
during the hot months. So during daytime hours, we, we generally don't see them. That doesn't mean that seeing a coyote during the day is cause for concern necessarily. Uh, it's just simply that, that these animals in places where there are people who are likely to see them, they, they don't want anything to do with right. them. So they stay out of sight. They're less active when it's hot. Uh, they're going to be, you know, do the things that they need to do, like look for food and water and patrol their territory. Usually that's done during the evening hours or overnight or dawn and dusk. We call that being crepuscular. That's a, an activity. So that's the one of the things that makes coyotes so successful is they're very adaptable in their behavior and when they're when they're active or, or inactive. So, uh, yeah, so they they're probably, you know, doing little during the day. And then at night, they're out there kind of doing their coyote things again, looking yeah. for food, patrolling their territory. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature. And I'm host Carrie Freeman talking about the Atlanta Coyote Project with its founder, biologist Dr. Chris Mowry of Barry College. The website is atlantacoyoteproject.org. Dr. Mowry, some of our listeners may see coyotes in their neighborhood or they'll hear neighbors on the next door email listserv expressing fear about seeing coyotes. What is a constructive way to respond to people's concerns and to promote coexistence with coyotes in our neighborhoods where they have been spotted? Right. Well, our, our research has shown that there are coyotes everywhere we look not large numbers of coyotes but there are they are present and so when we see them on our cameras we generally see one maybe two at most um so the seeing a coyote is not cause for concern um they're not out to get us however they are wild animals and they should be treated as such so the the best advice that we can give is don't provide food, whether intentionally or unintentionally, for coyotes. And, and usually that food that we see uh, being provided is in the form of people leaving pet food outside. So people right. that you know feed their cats or their dogs or, or leave food outside for their pets or perhaps for stray animals that mm. they, they think they're doing the right thing. And I know their heart's in the right place, but this is not good behavior because... Coyotes don't know the difference. Uh, they This is not natural food item, but when they come across it, um, it's free food. It, they don't have to go looking for it. So, uh, so th that's the best advice we give is just to secure your garbage, uh, awesome. clean your grill, don't overfill bird feeders that might spill seed on the ground and attract mm -hmm. rodents. Don't leave pet food out. Uh, don't throw food out. Um, if you have fruit trees, coyotes love fruits. If you have fruit trees and all of the fruits falling on the ground, you might want to rake that up because it will attract coyotes and other animals for that matter. So that's a food resource as well. So it's really just, um, and then also keep your pets uh, under control. Um, mm -hmm. Don't let your pets run freely. Pets are not natural food items for coyotes, but that's not to say that if they learn this behavior, they won't necessarily go after a small dog or a cat. They, they they can do that. It's not typical behavior, but it can happen. And so be a responsible pet owner. Right. Probably people may exaggerate if there has been one example of a cat or a, a small dog maybe being uh, attacked or eaten. 
by a coyote somewhere, then everybody kind of blows it out of proportion as if coyotes are roaming around trying to like, you know, eat our dogs and cats um, or come into our yard. But it's more about like you're saying um, opportunity. If we keep food around our, if you don't want coyotes in your yard that don't have food around your house, because it just, and it wouldn't be just the coyote, there'd be other animals, raccoons and other animals that are going to come in whenever you have food. Um, and in some places in Georgia, you'd have bears coming, you know, like, so you just have to be aware of that. Because uh, sometimes you might have people get overreacting and saying like, oh, well, we need to get somebody in here to kill the coyotes. I see a coyote. You know, I'm scared about my dog. Um, what can you say to somebody who thinks, oh, well, let's just get somebody in to get rid of the coyotes? Right. We, we again, we strongly advise doing that because what happens is it creates this cycle of what we call unintended consequences. And so if somebody attempts to, to what we say, lethally control a coyote population. So get a trapper to come in. First of all, it's difficult to do. It's expensive. Uh, a lot of people are, are ethically opposed to it, of course. Uh, yeah. But what it ends up doing is it might, you know, if successful, it might initially reduce the local coyote population. But as I've described, coyotes are very family oriented. There are strong social bonds. It's only the mom and dad who are breeding. And so trapping is never going to get rid of all of the coyotes. If you were to get rid of one of the parents, what that means is then the, the younger individuals have now been freed from being suppressed from breeding. And so now all bets are off. So you've got younger individuals breeding. Um, you've got a situation now where there are actually more resources available mm -hmm. because you've got initially fewer coyotes, more resources. Now those coyotes that are still there are going to reproduce again. Maybe more individuals are reproducing. They're going to have larger litter sizes. And so what started out as an attempt to reduce the coyote population has backfired and has ultimately ultimately led to more coyotes, not fewer coyotes. So right. most people don't quite understand this. Um, and so it's really, these animals will control their own numbers. So the best advice, again, we have is to be a responsible citizen, control yeah. access to resources. Um, one other thing I might mm -hmm. add is that don't put out rat poison, Ugh. things like that. Um, what these things often do will, uh, they'll, they'll get into the small rodent population. Mm -hmm. Coyote might then eat something or maybe a mouse or a rat that's ingested some of this. And, and this typically doesn't kill the coyote, but what it does is it reduces their immune response. Mm -hmm. They end up getting something like mange, which we see fairly often. Now the the animal, the coyote is desperate. And this is when bad behavior starts. And so they're desperate. They're trying to survive. Now they're going to take more chances, like come on to porches and, uh, you know, maybe kill cats and things like that. So it's just kind of this vicious cycle. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, even though we're at the end and we're going to need to wrap up, but I wanted to, I'm glad you mentioned that because in general, I just hate the idea of poisoning anyone. I don't like insecticides and <laughs> Yeah. And any kind of poison for rodents and stuff. But I, so it's interesting that you're mentioning the, um, the ripple effect of putting out poisons for any animal and how it could um, interfere. And I also was thinking when you're talking about people hiring trappers and hunters, just how um, not only does it not control, 
it's not going to get rid quote unquote of coyotes in the area, but also it just, it disrupts the family life. Like you've got partners that mate for life and then you're, you've just destroyed their family. So that's also, you know, another way to look at it. And it's potentially another argument you could use if you're trying to talk to your neighbors (laughs) about these things. But I know there's lots of resources on the Atlanta Coyote Project.org website. So just as a wrap up for listeners who are interested in helping out with the Atlanta Coyote Project, Dr. Mowry, what could they do to get involved? Well, the, the number one thing I would say is just to educate yourself. Um, and so most of what I've what, what we've talked about, as you say here today, is on our website, Atlanta Coyote Project.org. And so so just simply educating yourself. Um watching some of our videos, there are documentaries on there, and and then sharing this information with your neighbors, particularly if a situation comes up. And as you say, on social media or next door, there's an outcry, oh, we've seen a coyote, we need to do something. And and being sort of the voice of of reason, being an educated voice and sharing this information with your neighbors really goes a long way. Um, I think to to calming the situation down and and letting people make informed decisions. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Chris Mallory, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. Thanks for starting the Atlanta Coyote Project as an applied research tool for the community as it helps us better understand, appreciate, and protect coyotes. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for having me on. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta Radio Station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash to nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species, like coyotes and other urban wildlife. Thanks for listening. Cheers.